In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. So these readings are divided into three areas. The first one, first, third, and sixth hour of the day, in the morning, and these were focused on the commandments and the obedience. In the morning, on the ninth and eleventh hour, the focus was more on the second coming of Christ. Even Wednesday, which we just read right now, all this, uh, the readings are focused on being ready or, or the importance of being prepared for that second coming. So on the first hour, the Exodus, we read, so God is talking to Moses now to deliver this message to the people and he's saying, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a special people to me above all nations. So God is asking them, to obey his commandments and his promising then you will be my preferred people and then a couple of verses later we hear or we read then all the people answered one accord and said everything the Lord said we will do and hearken to of course we know that that was not exactly the case God was faithful in his promise God kept his part of the deal but the people of Israel were not always that faithful and the first hour to we read from Job I will go forth in his commandments for I have kept his ways and I will not turn aside. I will not disregard his commandments, but I have hidden his word in my bosom. The next hour, the third hour in Deuteronomy we read, Watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, judgments and ordinances I command you today. And in the third hour also, in the kingdom, the third kingdom, when Elijah was kind of disturbed, and he's talking to, to God, and he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty, since all children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. In the book of Isaiah, in the sixth hour we read, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know me and the people do not understand me. So, the theme of obedience is kind of clear in, in the first three hours. We come to the ninth hour and the church in her wisdom gives us Matthew 24, the same reading as the last Sunday before the new year. The disciples ask Christ, tell us when these things will be. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Christ went and elaborated and told them what are the signs to be expected. Eleventh hour of the Tuesday, also in Matthew, we read about the parable of the talents. And we read, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And then we know he gave some different talents to different people and then he came back and we read after a long time the Lord of these servants came and settled accounts with them the reading is clearly telling us that we have to be ready of the second coming because we are going to give account of our lives on that day 11th hour in the morning we read the son of man with how the judgment will be remember in Matthew 25 also then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, 
Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And they go and say, when did, when were you hungry? When, when you were thirsty? When you were in prison? And he said, in as much as you did. To one of the least of these, my brethren, you have did that to me. You have did it to me also. So now we know, or we learn about the second coming of Christ, the importance of being ready for that second coming. So on the first eve, or first hour of the eve of Wednesday, on the parable of the wedding feast, we learn about what's going to happen for those that are not ready. On the third hour, which we read this evening, Christ says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Third hour, in the same Gospel we read about the faithful servant and the evil servant. And that's the first time we see the fate of those who are not ready. The master of that servant will come on a day where he is not looking for him, at an hour that he is not aware of, and he will cut him into and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the sixth hour, we read the power of the wise and foolish virgins also. So the church is rightfully warning us about the second coming. The church is telling us we need to be ready for that. But how is that related to the readings of the morning where the church is talking to us about obedience? And the answer to that question is also in the Gospel. So at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Christ says, Therefore, whoever hears the saying, these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a man who has built his house on a rock. Rain descended, floods came, winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So this is the man who heard, who heard my sayings and does them. Who hears my saying and does them. What about for those who do not listen or who do not do these sayings? So, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So both of them listened to the same commandments. One did, and the other did not. The one who did, had the foundation. The other one who did not do anything about it, just listened, had no foundation. So, back to the original question. Why are we told about about obedience because the obedience is the foundation another example or another reason from the gospel also a rich man we're all familiar with the rich young man who came to Christ and basically told him what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life and Christ's answer was very clear said if you want to enter into life keep the commandments so without keeping the commandments without being obedient to the commandments there is no foundation, there is no spiritual life, and there is no salvation. And in the church history and in the books of the Father and in the Bible itself, there are endless examples of how God works through those those people who obey the commandments. 
Remember when Mark first came to Egypt, once he entered into Alexandria, what happened? He had to go to a cobbler. Why? Because his sandal ripped. Remember when Christ sent them out, he, he asked him to do what? Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. So he literally took that to heart. He did not... Remember at that time people were walking. I mean, people walked. People didn't ride cars or trains or anything. People walked. So the commandment itself looked like it's, it's unusual. But St. Mark followed it exactly. And God worked with that. And we know that he went to the cobbler. The cobbler hurt himself. And he cried for the one God. And St. Mark picked it from there. St. Mark took it from there taught him about the true God, the true one God, and so on. In, in a lot of the Desert Fathers books, we read examples about about saintly people that by just obeying the commandments, they performed miracles. Like the story of this monk, or the story actually of a rich man whose daughter had an evil spirit on her. So he went to the monk. There are different versions of that story, but it, basically this is the one that's in the Paradise of the Father. The monks refused to go out of humility. And people told him the only way to get this dealt with is to basically trick one of them to meet your daughter. So the monks work and go one day every week, every two weeks to the market to sell their goods. So that man went to one, one of these monks, he was selling baskets, said, I don't have the money now, why don't you come and I'll pay you when we get home. I said, okay, here is my house in that, in that area. The man went home, the monk followed him, knocked on the door, the daughter opens. When the daughter opened the door, he has an evil spirit on her, he could not see the, the monk, could not stand the monk, and slapped him on the face. What did the monk do? He just turned the other cheek. And the evil spirit departed from her at that time. The evil spirit departed, it could not take that. What he did, he obeyed the commandment. He literally obeyed the commandment. And in the Gospel, according to St. John, the first miracle of Christ is recorded when he was at the Urad um, of Galilee. Remember when they ran out of wine? And we always say, the, the dialogue between St. Mary and Jesus, this is the ultimate prayer. There is a problem, and she went and presented the problem. She didn't ask him to do anything. Like sometimes in our prayers, or even even our, in our minds. I wish God would deal with it this way, or God would do that. But the fact is she presented the problem. But the second part of her work was, what did she do? She went to the servants and said, whatever he says to you, do it. So the saints of the church, I don't know if I should use that term or not, but I'm going to use it anyway, they weren't extreme in obeying the gospel. And one of my favorite stories is Saint Serapion. Emperor Serapion, very ascetic man, 5th century in Egypt. He basically owned nothing except his clothes, which were basically rags, and a Bible. That's all he had. So he went to the city. He saw a beggar on the street. And that man was naked. He had no clothes, and he was shivering. He looked at him and said, This is Christ. And Christ is shivering. I cannot take that. He took his clothes off and gave it to him. Kept walking. He saw another poor man being taken to jail because he had a debt and he is unable to pay his debt. He has no shoes, he has no clothes, he has nothing. All he had is the Bible. So he sold, he sold the Bible, gave the money to the man to bail him out. 
And then he went back to the monastery. His disciple met him there and said, Abba, where are your clothes? And he said, I saw Christ naked. I saw Christ shivering, so I gave it to him. I said, what about your Bible that we read every night? And he said, the Bible kept on telling me, sell all you have, sell all you have. And that's the only thing I had, so I just, I had to sell it. And of course, the prime example in all virtues is the Theotokos. St. Luke first introduced her. First time, at least in the Gospel according to St. Luke, we hear about her is that the archangel Gabriel came to her and he told her, you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And we know there is this little dialogue between them, but at the end, what did she tell him? Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. She accepted. The fact is, St. Mina accepted the death penalty at that time. A teenage girl, unmarried, pregnant. That, that's a death penalty. And I mean, she, some people like her would be stoned to death. But she never really thought of that. She never really considered that. She said, if God commands, we obey. And we hear that later on also, or actually in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, when the angel came to Joseph, asked him, take the son and his mother and go to Egypt, they went. Nobody asked, what are we going to eat? Where are we going to live? Where are we going to spend the night? And remember, she had a newborn at that time. But she went. But back to the Annunciation story. So now St. Mary knows that she's pregnant with the Messiah, with the Savior of the world. All generations, all women would love for that even to come from their lineage, not only from her. And what did she do right after she heard about that? A couple of days later, she went to serve St. Elizabeth. Who should be serving who? Like, the whole world should be serving her. She knows that among all the women that lived, and all the women that will live for thousands of more years, nobody's going to have this honor except her. But look at the humility of St. Mary. She went to serve her relative. And we know that St. Elizabeth was bewildered by that. So as the fathers of the church teach us, Virtues go together, sometimes also sins go together. So for us to acquire true obedience, we need to acquire humility. A person who is not very humble is going to be really difficult for him or for her to be really obedient. Why? Because we don't reason. And as much as we need obedience, we need faith. And who is the prime example in the faith when it came to obedience? Abraham. He had his Isaac when he was a hundred years old. He had the promise from God that you shall be the father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. Isaac grew up. Then God told him, take your beloved son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a whole burnt offering on one of the mountains, I tell you. And look at the language view. Your beloved son Isaac, whom you love. I mean, a reasonable answer said, I'll do that, but we have a promise. I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna handle the promise. Of course, later on, St. Paul tells us that he did that because he had the faith that God will raise him back. But you've got somebody who has two sons, one of them is gone, the other is about to be slaughtered for God, 
He's already 100 plus, well over 100. God asks, we obey. St. John Chrysostom reminds us uh, of something important, that faith requires obedience and not curiosity. When God commands, one ought to be obedient and not curious. One ought to be obedient and not curious. And we saw that in some of the readings that we just read in the whole, in the um, Great Land. Like for example, the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. So Christ went to him, he doesn't know who Christ is. Christ went to him, said, do you want to be made well? And his answer was, effectively, I mean, what do you think? I mean, I can't even find somebody to push me into the water. And Christ told him something very strange. I mean, without any explanation, told him, rise, take up your bed and walk. I mean, I'm thinking if I mean, a reasonable answer would be, seriously, I can't even get into the water. You want me to get up and lift my bed? And he did. So, sometimes we don't have to conform God's commandments to our logic or our reasoning. And that's what John Chrysostom is saying. When God commands, one ought to be obedient and not curious. It doesn't have to conform to our logic. That's how God works. And in the following week, we read about the man born blind. He also doesn't know who Christ is. Christ spat on the ground, made clay, it on his eyes and told him, go wash in the pool of Silwan. And he could have said, why are you making me go through this? If you're able and willing to heal me, why don't you do it here and now? Why do I have to go through this it's a humiliating situation, very undignifying? A man walking with mud on his face, possibly stumbled a couple of times getting there, but he did. And the Bible tells us he came he came back seeing. So when when Christ gives us a command, it doesn't have to conform to our logic. It doesn't have we don't have to understand it or understand the purpose of it. It will be clear later on. Whether it is clear to us now or not, a commandment is a commandment. And the church teaches us that these commandments are to be read, to be contemplated upon, and to be acted upon also. When Abuna prays the litany of the gospel, what is that prayer in it? May we be worthy to hear and to act according to your holy gospels through the prayers of your saints. So what are the action words here? Hear and act. This is the prayer, maybe worthy to hear and act. So both of them go together. And when I'm acting on these commandments, one important thing to, to notice when we are obedient is to watch for the small commandments too. Like we sometimes have the tendency of going with the like, quote-unquote easier commandments than the rough ones. Like, give your 10%, give your tithe, that's easy. But there are commandments that we perceive as being difficult, like, how can I love my enemy? I mean, the commandment is not to put up with my enemy, the commandment is to love the enemy. The fact is, if we really love God, all of these are going to fall into place. The commandment is perceived to be difficult because our love for God is not perfect. And so Mark, St. Mark the ascetic teaches us 
the importance of paying attention to the small command, commandments. He said, the devil makes small sins seem even smaller in our eyes, for otherwise he cannot lead us to a greater evil. Meaning, a big sin does not start as a big sin, like a sin of killing somebody. It starts with a feeling of hatred in my heart. A sin of fornication, it started with me being careless with my eyes, careless with my thoughts. So these small sins are a gate or are a, can lead us into a bigger sin or a major sin if we are not careful. Like for example, one of the things we do, we just said that when we read, we are supposed to hear and act. When I read the Holy Gospel, do I actually try to apply that on my life? I read a certain story in the Holy Gospel. I read the story, say, of uh, the Good Samaritan. And at the end, so a basic story of the Good Samaritan is effectively an enemy helped the Jews. The Jews and the uh, Samaritans were not really on very good terms. The priest passed by, and the Levite passed by, but the enemy is the one who helped him. At the end, Christ makes it very clear, go and do likewise. That statement is for me. Am I taking it for me or not? Same thing with the rich young man. When I read that story, we have the habit of judging this man. Look at him. He heard the commandments from Christ himself and effectively did not, I mean, did not obey it. And we get into the habit of comparing him to Saint, uh, to Saint Anthony. Saint Anthony here heard it possibly from a deacon and what did he do? He literally obeyed it. But the fact is that rich young man he is not a really bad person. St. Mark tells us clearly, he said, he came running, knelt before Christ and asked, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? The guy had one question to Christ. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's his concern. Like if we met Christ, is that also our concern? What can I do to inherit eternal life? And we know how it went. So Christ told him, Obey the commandments. Here are the commandments. And he said, I have kept them from my youth. So that's the guy that we sometimes judge, even internally when we read this. The guy stood in front of Christ and said, I obeyed these commandments. I kept your commandments from my youth. That's a statement for me that personally, I would not dare to, to make that statement. He stood in front of Christ and said that. How many of us can stand in front of Christ and said, we kept your commandments? So when we're reading, we're applying and we're putting ourselves in the shoes of these people. Who am I? I read the uh, parable. I read the parable, say, of um, the lost son. Who am I? Am I the father? And the father with his love and care and everything? Or the old son, who seemingly a good kid, but turns out his heart was not in the right place? Or am I the young one? If I left, am I going to come back or no? And the obedience also extends beyond the gospel to the obedience to the church itself. 
sometimes we hear this, people criticizing a certain commandments in the church, or it doesn't make sense, or this does not apply to today's world, or why is it, why is the church asking us to do that? The fact is, if the church asks us to fast, we should fast. The church asks us to act in a certain way, we act in a certain way. And we sometimes hear a statement, some people say, why is the church controlling my life? The church is not trying to control anybody's life. The church is trying to make us whole. The church is trying to make us saints. All of us are troubled from inside to a certain point or a certain level. All of us are broken at a certain level. And the church is trying to heal us. This is the hospital that is trying to heal us. The church ultimately is trying to make saints out of everybody. And whether we agree or not, whether we like the medicine or not, this is the medicine. And the fact is the church has a stellar history in making saints and martyrs. This church made millions, billions of martyrs and saints. So the church effectively knows what it's doing. Church is not trying to control my life or limit my freedom or anything like that. The church is trying to make me a saint. That's what the church is trying to do. And that's one thing all of us need to bear in mind. And forgive me, I might, many of you might have heard me say that before, but and we bring this up quite often with the youth, but I'm just a little bit too attached to that point. Last point I want to talk about when we talk about obedience. God does not want obedience of a servant. God wants the obedience of his children. A servant just obeys. God wants a full relationship of a child to a father with all that comes with it the love, the obedience, the trust, the faith, everything that comes with it. What God wants is our heart, the full heart. Obedience is, for those of us who studied science, are in the technical field, we hear that term, necessary, but not sufficient. Obedience is necessary, we have to be obedient, but that's not enough. In the parable of the lost son, or the uh, prodigal son, what do, we, what do we read? The old son came back, and so this big party, one of the servants told him, your brother came back, and he refused to get in. The father, out of his love, went to him. Like on a side note, that father should, could have said, leave him there. I mean, where is he going to go? He will have, eventually has to come back. So the father went, and what did the son say? These many years I have been serving you, I have never transgressed your commandments at any time, and yet you never gave me a goat, a young goat, that I might make merry with my friends. So he's effectively saying, I've been obedient. But turns out that his heart was not in the right place. The heart was not in the right place. And back to the rich young man. He said, I kept all these commandments from my youth. What did Christ tell him? If you want to be perfect, sell all you have and give to the poor. And we know that he left sorrowful. Here's another person who obeyed who obeyed the commandments, who followed the commandments, kept the commandments, but his heart was still attached to something else. And God and Christ picked this one because he knew that this is where his heart was. So the point is not in this dry obedience, if I may use the term. It is in giving the whole heart to, to God. And Christ made it very clear. Okay, he's a good man. He's a good guy. I mean, he listened. But good is not good enough with God. The, the purpose is to be perfect, not to be good. He told him, 
if you want to be perfect, you should do so and so. And we know there is a commandment. Be perfect like your Father in Heaven is perfect. And of course, perfection is only to God. Like No matter what we do, we will never be perfect. But we can be perfect at our own level only. Like a third grade kid goes to math and does well in the test, he gets an A. Another kid in high school with a lot more complicated math and statistics or whatever gets an A. This A is different from that A. Why? Because this is doing whatever expected at his level. So to be perfect like God, of course that's not going to happen. But at our level, we need to be perfect. So remember, we need to be not only good people, but to be holy people. The call is not to, for goodness. The good is for holiness. All of us should be good. We're Christians. We should be honest and kind and helpful. We, we should be good. But the call is to holiness. The call is not to goodness. May God help us and grant us the virtue of obedience. Good to God forever. Amen. We want to thank you so much for listening to St. Basil's podcast. We hope that you have gained spiritually from our remarkable speakers, and we appreciate your support towards this podcast. St. Basil American Coptic Orthodox Church is looking to purchase a home, and we would love for you to be a part of our community. We are looking to raise funds towards this novel mission, Orthodoxy in an American Context within the San Diego area. You may donate online through our website, www.stbasil.net. That's www.stbasil.net. Or click on the link below and it will take you to our donations page. You may also mail in your contribution at the address located on our website. We thank you for any contribution and may our Lord Jesus Christ always bless your heart and home.